Mark Cuban. How you do anything is how you do everything. If you're not, if you don't pay attention to detail on the little things, you're not going to be in the habit of paying attention to detail for the big things. Ken Griffey Jr. Hey, he wears his hat backwards. Well, I wear my hat backwards because my dad had a fro and I wanted to wear his hat. And if I put his hat on at age six and, you know, he's got a eight and a half and I got like a little five, it's not going to really stay on my head. Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. John Smoltz. Is if you don't have the imagination and the willingness to fail or not being afraid to fail, I don't think you can be truly great. Candace Parker. I have had so much hope for this generation coming up that have grown up with women in sports, in leadership roles, on television, speaking about sports, speaking knowledgeably about sports. Paul Gasol. To me, all the work that I've done, all the humanitarian work that I've done has always given me great perspective, has allowed me to keep my feet on the ground and uh, has really put and reminded me what's truly important. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. (laughs) (laughs) Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio. We are celebrating 17 years of Sports Business Radio this week, and we are powered by our friends at Malka Sports. Learn more about them online at malkasports.com. Another great show lined up for you this week. Peter Fagan, the president of the NBA's Milwaukee Bucks and their new state-of-the-art arena, the Pfizer Forum, is my guest. The Bucks have become a model pro sports franchise, and they recently signed NBA MVP Giannis Antetokounmpo and star guard Drew Holiday to contract extensions. They've shown that their small market franchise can retain their stars and thrive financially. The Bucks have also been one of the most outspoken pro sports franchises when it comes to social justice issues. So we discuss how the organization has created an environment for such conversations to take place. Peter Fagan joining us on our show this week. Also joining me on this week's edition of Sports Business Radio is Jeff Kanowski. Jeff is the Associate Director of Innovation Programs for Arizona State University's Global Sport Institute and J. Oren Edson Entrepreneurship and Innovation Institute. What makes for a good entrepreneur? What are the elements of a good pitch? Jeff is going to have those answers for you, as well as tell us more about the Institute during our conversation this week. Well, Hideki Matsuyama won the Masters on Sunday, becoming the tournament's first Asian-born champion and the first Japanese man to win a major golf championship. The win could mean up to a billion dollars in endorsements and business opportunities for Matsuyama. He was already a rock star in Japan. This is going to take him to even greater heights. There's a chance he lights the torch for the Tokyo Olympics this summer. For that reason, Hideki Matsuyama is our Power Up Premium Trail Mix Power Player of the Week for his historic win at the Masters. Coming up next, my conversation with Peter Fagan, president of the NBA's Milwaukee Bucks. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This segment of Sports Business Radio is brought to you by Power Up Premium Trail Mix. Forget the stale trail mixes with peanuts, raisins, and junk candy. Power Up is a trail mix brand that specially curates their mixes fresh with good-for-you quality ingredients that power you up with nutrients your body needs and flavors your taste buds crave. 
These premium trail mixes come in several varieties and can be eaten on the go wherever the day takes you. Fuel up like sports icons Lindsey Horan and the Washington Capitals. And find Power Up Nationwide at retailers, on Amazon, and at PowerUpSnacks.com. My guest is Peter Fagan. He's the president of the NBA's Milwaukee Bucks and Pfizer Forum. You can follow him on Twitter at P. Fagan. Peter, thanks for joining me on Sports Business Radio. How are you? Great. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Really appreciate you joining me. Always uh, great to get the perspective of a president of, uh, of an NBA team and of an arena. Let's start before we get into talking about the Bucks and Pfizer Forum with your background. You've worked at NetJets. You've worked at many other places. Uh, and then in 2014, you started with the Bucks. Give our listeners a little bit of an idea of your background. Yeah, so I'd say at a core, kind of like a real sales and marketing background, always on the revenue generating side. I started my career, you know, basically at Six Flags theme parks, kind of in the in the marketing and sales and uh, evolved to Madison Square Garden, where I went on to run marketing um, on, on the garden side and for the New York Knicks, and then spent a decade in private aviation, which was a kind of quick pivot, but same type of thing, taking great brands and really leveraging them and, and driving driving affinity and, and revenue. Um, and then at a quick stop at, uh, at Deluxe Entertainment and McAndrews and Forbes um, for years, and then kind of had this opportunity where I, I linked up with Mark Lazary, who I had known for a lot of years and a weird connection with my identical twin brother who runs the school that all of his kids went to. And one day during a parent conference suggested maybe I join him as he looks at teams to buy. And, uh, and that's how we got together. And as he started to look at teams, I was his front uh, person to, to vet the opportunities. And lo and behold, Senator Cole in Wisconsin calls and I go out to Milwaukee for the first time in my life. And uh, we have an opportunity to buy an NBA team. And that's the uh, short story of how, how I got to Milwaukee, Wisconsin and kind of had the job of a lifetime and the opportunity to kind of build a, build a district and a team and a brand um, that you usually kind of never have. Like it, it's really kind of a, a modern day startup. What a great story that is. Um, small world. But yeah, I mean, if you look at from the time you came on board in 2014 to now, there's probably no period of, of growth that's been greater for the Bucks than during you know, the last seven years or so. Let's start with your small market club, right? So this isn't New York. This isn't Los Angeles or Chicago. Um, you know, this isn't the NFL. The NBA is structured differently. How do you operate as a small market club in the NBA? You, you operate mentality-wise like a big market club. So you have to compete with everybody. So that's for everything from our ownership, realizing like we are not going to lose players. We are not going to lose executives. We are not going to use a competitive battle by lack of resources, by lack of capital investment, by what our facilities look like. So kind of with the general thinking of like, we are best of class. So we want to be innovators. We want to be leaders. It gives us like, we are on a platform of 30 teams that are on a global platform. And you kind of have the opportunity as media continues to expand and social media to expand that you can kind of erase those smaller markets. Like there's a revenue differential, no question about it in what you can generate on, on a local level. But 
in today's NBA to really think of yourself as a global brand changes the perspective of the way you attack the business? I think it's a great point you make. And you look at the fact that you guys re-signed Giannis to a max contract. You recently re-signed Drew Holiday to a four-year extension. And you've got one of the nicest state-of-the-art buildings in the Pfizer Forum. So when you talk about best in class, those are three great examples of how you're operating like a big market franchise and, and you know one of the best organizations, not only in the NBA, but in pro sports. And it's setting the example. I mean, this is a people business. So this is also about, make no mistake, if Giannis didn't love the people and resourced everybody from the performance to the medical, to the legal, to the business, to the basketball, how do we build a community? How do we, how do we enrich kind of and make this a special place? I mean, that's really kind of the magic sauce is, is compete, you know, on all the things you can control. And then really on the interpersonal side, make this a special place. I mean, the fact that we have Giannis extending, you know, for five years and Drew Holiday doesn't go to the free market and they say, we want to be in Milwaukee, right. like, we want to live. And I always kind of tell people when we got here, you know, there was one player out of 15 that owned a home in Wisconsin, you know, and now, you know, 13 of our players own homes in Wisconsin and kind of this is their home and this is the way we, so you think about the success barometers, like we've got revenue, we've got enterprise value, we've got, sometimes I think of it as like, oh, we got 13 players who own their, their primary residency in Wisconsin. Yeah, it is. It really is a people business. So how did you recruit Giannis? I mean, you have an advantage because he's already on the team. He's already exposed to the organization and what you're doing. You can offer him more money than anyone else. But at the end of the day, you've got to do some of the things that you just mentioned. Listen, you know the people, right? What's important to different people? And Giannis, for example, is it's about winning, you know, and, and his 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 evidence that he wanted from ownership was like, what are we going to do to build to build a nucleus around him and, and kind of do this. Here's a superstar who's an MVP for two years. He wants to be here. He wants to compete, but he wants you know, an infrastructure around him that can compete for a championship. And that comes down to ownership really kind of saying to him, like, we're going to invest, like, we're with you. Like, we want to, and putting putting the capital, you know, right behind it, forging the relationships, renewing, you know, we've got Chris Middleton, Drew, Giannis, you know, at a core, we're in a place that's in such rarefied space in pro sports where you've got a core of an NBA team that's going to be together for like three to five years. And we can start planning that now, you know, which is incredible. Long ago, long ago, I used to work for the Portland Trailblazers. I'm based in in Portland. Um, I've seen the side of basketball and business working together. I've also seen from afar basketball and business, it's like two different organizations. It seems like the Bucks basketball and business are seamless. How do you create that? Well, I think our owners are really smart. So, so John Horst is, is like my partner, my buddy, my, my lean on and confidant. I mean, we talk, we talk and text every day. And, and part of that is, how do we come up with strategies and really recommendations to run the business that we agree on it and kind of, and throw it to manage it. It's not brain surgery. Like we make things very simple. Our ownership wants to be very rational. They want to know what the effects are. They want to know the risks and they want to know what we back, you know, back up and defend. And that's made us kind of naturally 
you know, a, a, a really fused partnership in, in what it is. And I think uh, Coach Bud realizes the power of community and, and like what it means to be not just a part of a 15 member team or a 40 person basketball ops person, but it's a, you know, there are 300 people, you know, who work full time, 1500 people who work part time and it's really the engine and there's power in feeling a part of it. Yeah. All right. We've been in a pandemic for a year plus. This is unlike anything any of us have seen. I've had CEOs and presidents on for the last year talking about how they're navigating through all of this. You've got a new state-of-the-art arena. You've got the Deer District. I know you have a little over 3,200 fans that are now welcome back to Pfizer Forum for home games. You've got your staff that you've got to manage from afar and sometimes in person. How have you navigated through all of this? Yeah, I think I, I think like in a in a kind of very transparent, real time way where we over communicate. You know, we have like tried to really resource. It's really about all about our employees, to be honest with you. Like in you know, beginning the last twelve months, and and you know, even when you're not able to be reassuring, even when you can't forecast the future. I think we've done well by by telling people we're all in this together and we're going to figure this out. And the truth is there will be the future. We're an industry where you know there will be a future of NBA basketball and like what form it'll take. So we really spent, you know, kind of exhausted amount of time kind of rethinking the, the frequency in which we communicate, how do we communicate and what we communicate in a big way. And it, it's actually brought us you know, kind of closer together, but it's still, you know, very foreign times, you know, for all of us to think about how do we restart? You know, how do we get people back in the office? Like, what is the sentiment of a vaccinated versus non-vaccinated? And we've got a generation of folks now who are like, kind of sitting there thinking like, boy, working from home probably wasn't that bad, you know, like to, to get it. I mean, all these little nuances, you know, and as a, as a manager and an employer, you sit and kind of think like, we got to think about not only how to promote safety and like the live action of the game and restart this brand in a big way, because people have not experienced like the live product in a year. And that's a problem. Like people aren't talking about it, but that's a problem. We've got to think about how to really kind of mentally and psychologically get everybody on the same page to, to, to kind of restart it. So it's really fascinating. I mean, I think, I, I might be a little delusional, but it, it, it's the the learning curve of it has been like kind of fun and interesting to to navigate what's never happened before. How is it going with fans back in attendance and you know people coming back into the building again? Well, it's great. You realize very quickly, like we're in such a special business. Like this is about the fans. This is live action. This is real time experience. Like that's like what makes sports so great is it's the heart it's the brain you know these are not widgets you know you're selling on a thing and it's it's done well so far i mean we're we're relatively limited like operationally where because of social distancing and because of of kind of um di- different nba protocols we're really kind of capped out at the moment of, of about 30 3300 fans just because of the, the way we can scale the building. I mean, our, our expectation and hope is to get really 50% plus for the playoffs. And, um, and I'll tell you, even at, even at 20%, like it makes such a dramatic difference to, to like hear humans, you know, cheer. Yeah. yeah. One of the things I'm talking with uh, CEOs and presidents around the sports world with mm-hmm. is 
and, and I don't even know if anyone has the answer to this yet, but like I saw the Cincinnati Reds this week, they have a vaccinated section and it's $10 tickets and you've got incentives to sit in the vaccinated section. But then you've got the people who haven't been able to get vaccinated yet. How do you think that's all going to unfold for the next year or so where you've got vaccinated fans and you've got non-vaccinated fans? I think it's our reality. You know, I think vaccinated fans are going to be able to sit shoulder to shoulder. They're going to have more of a sense of confidence and safety. You're going to still avail people who haven't been vaccinated the ability to attend, you know, kind of knowing what it is. And it's going to be hopefully, you know, depending on where variants and variants are and everything else, you know, hopefully this will be mildly like short term where we're talking about how do we finish off this season, you know, in the playoffs with the hope of really kind of optimistically starting next season in October, you know, very close to normal, um, you know, where you're, you're not segmenting sections. I mean, I think we're preparing for every scenario you could imagine. I don't know that max mask mandates are eliminated anytime soon. You know, I think, I think we're kind of thinking to ourselves, we've got to get through 2021 and, and, and kind of like then look at what 22 looks like. What are some other uh, new normals operationally that fans can expect? I mean, I, I think I saw where the NBA did a deal with clear in the last week and um, you know, that will be part of fans attending games. Now you can show, you know, in your digital wallet where you've got your vaccination and your health records are in there, you can get your temperature taken, but it's going to look different than it did in 2019 when people attended live sporting events. Yeah. Just assume everything that can be automated will be automated and, and kind of seamless and, and, and being able to, to track beforehand, we will have, we will have the ability to like track vaccines, you know, vaccinated fans and non-vaccinated fans. You know, I would say a majority of stadiums and arenas will be almost primarily cashless. And, you know, what does that mean? I mean, you're now taking app ordering and pickup, you know, and delivery, you know, to, to the arena in real time, like not over the course of five to 10 years is there adaptation, but today there's, there's adaptation. The same with digital ticketing, where that's really kind of forged over the last five years, well, that's accelerated to close to 100%, you know, after, after this period of time. And you're also thinking about the different ways, like we think about labor. I mean, now, you know, when we train and we, and we think about our labor cost, it's not just the housekeeping department to keep a building clean. Like it is literally like, you know, all hands on deck, you know, what are our protocols? Like, how do we do safety? How do we, how do we, um, how do we stage training in a different, in a different way? Um, so it really kind of affects everything, but I tell you, I think it's like, I think it's, it, it's kind of an interesting place because it, it's allowed all of us to kind of look at our business a different way and to really think, I mean, our business went to zero like overnight. So right away it's cost containment. How do we do this? And then it's all about like, well, what are best practices and how would we, how would we restart? So all of our brains, I think are in the right direction. Seems like a lot of people are reimagining their business now, right? Yeah. I think it's like thinking about how, why can't you, pre-order everything you might eat, your parking and your retail before you come? How can we customize an experience? How can we chat in real time? What does what does second screen look like in some arenas and stadiums? So it's it's kind of like I said, I think I think what's happened is 
the the pandemic has really created an accelerant on on kind of the advancement of technology, you know, and seamlessness and and customer communication. One of the other things that's changed in the last year is a lot of people have lost their jobs. Disposable income is not as great as it was before. So again, a lot of the people I've had on this show, we all have to put on our thinking caps to figure out what's the best possible value we can offer to fans because they don't have the disposable income that they had pre-pandemic. Yeah, appetites are going to change and we've got to figure out what's digestible for everybody. So I think there's going to be a lot more customization in like ticket packages. You know, I think there's going to be a lot more of, of, of pricing variations and options. I think variable pricing will be one of those things that you can really work with. But I, I think, you know, everybody, you know, in professional sports and entertainment has to take a very strong look at what the reality is, is, is like our business has, has, has attrited, you know, over the last year. And there are a lot of numbers you don't know of, of like behaviorally, like who is coming back and who is not coming back. And we've got to prepare and we've got to build a new fan base to start. I mean, our mentality is, you know, if there was ever a time to, to encourage, you know, kind of younger fan base, like re-engage the passive fans to be adamant. It's like, what are those mechanisms we're doing? How do we get trial users to come in now, which we might not have been thinking about, you know, a year ago with a very successful team on the court. What are some ways that you would engage the younger fan base and, and those trial users, as you call them? Well, I think, I think number one is like when you're driving, you know, the call to action is to the arena and live entertainment. It's all about the environment. So you're changing like what the environment is like to different demos and, and like, what does it mean to a millennial? Maybe not to have a seat, you know, to buy standing room and be able to hang out, you know, and it's much more social to get in. What does it mean to have grab and go food, you know, to, to get in. And I almost think of it as like, it's getting more and more so the fan can kind of dictate their experience and you've got to be really flexible in being able to pivot about what that looks like in a big way. And then, you know, how do you, how, how do you, there's, there's a big hospitality quotient, you know, how do you make it a special, you know, how can you really kind of rethink, you know, the high end hospitality to a way that like reinvents the touch and the feel and, and, and the surprise and the delight. For people like me that have not been to the deer district, describe it and how might it be different post pandemic than it was when you built it and you envision, you know, pre pandemic. Well, you've got to close your eyes and click your heels and pretend you're in the most magical place. <laughs> now the deer just... <laughs> so, so, so we've had this unbelievable opportunity to build a 30 acre district in the middle of like one of the country's, you know, cities and it doesn't exist anywhere else in the city so number one it's a destination and think of like your living room destination and how do you activate that so no on event nights it is live wired there are different experiences of, of restaurants of bars of interactive of kids of, of kid games and, and how do you bring the how do you bring the action outside the arena as well and then how do you really create a cultural epicenter for the city itself so whether it's your chris king Kindle Fest, like during Christmas, your Fright Fest, like during Halloween, like whether it's your skating rinks, your yoga classes, you make it the destination. And then by the, the way we've built the infrastructure, we've got commercial buildings that people are working here. We've got residential buildings where they're living. And we've got a place that's like a safe, bright, 
you know, well-constructed neighborhood that makes it attractive to go. So really for us, it's like, how do we continue to build the density like around it? And the crown jewel is the arena and Fiserv and, and the Bucks brand. If I'm coming to a Bucks game, give me, other than watching the basketball, what are three things I have to do while I'm at Fiserv Forum or at the Deer District? Well, you got to come early to the Deer District. It would, I would, I would go to you know one of the on-premise places. Whether you wanted to sit down and, and eat at the Mecca Sports Bar, which is unlike any other sports bar, or go to to a local kitschy place like Drink Wisconsinly and grab like a great craft beer and and sit down and kind of enjoy joy. You got to walk the plaza and like people watch and kind of interact with what what's going on. And then you've got to get in early and, and kind of understand like what we've really created is kind of two hours before the game is like, how do you enjoy, you know, we open up our arena a little bit earlier than most and how can people watch warmups? How can people walk? And we think we've got this, you know, we built kind of a beautiful infrastructure that we want people to explore and, and kind of see it. And the building is open to everybody. So you can navigate the entire building, no matter what tickets you have, which is different than a lot of other arenas. So we want people to, you know, we want people to go up to the upper concourse, understand like what the craft markets look like, what, what special foods we've got flipping out, what retail looks like in a big way. And then we want you to like, you know, focus on the game and enjoy the game and what the entertainment is. And, it, and we, we are, you know, try to keep like authentically basketball centric, like during gameplay. And then, you know, at times like fun and sensory overload, like not during gameplay. Favorite food item at Pfizer Forum? Yeah, I mean, we have, so so we're the first arena to open up a Chick-fil-A, which is like basically, I mean, I can't describe like what what the volumes are. It's kind of like one of the most surreal experiences ever to, uh, to have a Chick-fil-A in your arena and see like what a magnet that comes to, but you know, what we've done is kind of create really localized, authentic um, vendors that are, that are all kind of known. So, you know, whether you're eating a Sobelman's hamburger, you know, or Clement's hot dog uh, to get through, but I mean, I'm, I, I, I mean, we have, we happen to have a poke bowl um, place on the upper concourse, which I'm addicted to. And I'll, I, I default to kind of 10 out of 10 times. Wisconsin's all about cheese. There's gotta be some cheese, Served well, we have, we have the right? official cheese of Sargento, the official cheese of of the Bucks, of which we award our players and some of our executives with like ten pound wheels of cheese for accomplishing silly things. Uh, as we go, so we are definitely cheese centric. I mean, there is like we've got mac and cheese stands, we've got cheese on everything you can imagine. So yes, cheese and beer are like mainstay staples, like in anything you do in Milwaukee. I want to end on this. Uh, the Bucks have been a model organization when it comes to igniting the conversation on social justice. And we saw what happened in the bubble last year. And I think your organization has done a great job uh, standing behind your players and, and really being at the forefront of the social justice conversation. I know that probably comes at you know, the top and, and goes down but explain how you guys have been such leaders. It comes from our ownership. So do the right things for the right reasons. Like, and this happens to be on the umbrella of equality. So very simply, like if you take a 30,000 feet, we believe that everybody should be treated equally. That kind of disseminates like across the, 
the entire organization? And how do we put our actions, our money, our passion behind that is all like part of it. So part of our culture is like, hey, you got to believe in that to, to work here. Like, you know, to get it, like part of your working here is going to be involved in community, is going to be involved in, you know, if you want to opt in to our, our employee resource groups, if you want to opt in to social justice and, and kind of get it, that's like part of, and, and that's really kind of when you talked about one of your first questions were basketball and business. So I think like one of the strengths we have is like when you're one cohesive unit, you know, in both basketball and business, things like social awareness, social justice, equality, they become a lot easier because you're, your people on the highest platform, the players are, are invested in it. They understand it. They know the institutions behind them completely. And then it just kind of, you know, just accelerates and explodes from there. And that's kind of what happened. You know, like we are, you know, if you're within, you know, the buck circle, like it, it we think it's rarefied space and we we kind of back up, defend, you know, and 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 uh, and resource, you know, our entire family. I'm curious, more and more organizations are doing education and training around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Are you doing that? Or do you really focus on hiring people that already embody those traits and, and you know, kind of activating those traits once they're part of the organization? Yeah, so that's a great question. So I'll, I'll start that by saying, like, I think we thought we were pretty progressive and I think we thought we were woke, you know, and, and I think we realized pretty quickly, like, oh, my God, we have a long way to go. Like, we are nowhere close when we think about education, when we think about awareness, when we, you, you know, you know, all these different microaggressions that can happen, like differently on, on like a race based. So we had to really think about it. I'm not a big fan of bringing in people outside because I think it's cultural. Like, I think like, you know, I'm the chief diversity officer, like as are the management groups, as are the players, as are everybody else. So we've taken this period of COVID to almost think about it like business. How are we organized? What's our standard operating procedure? How do we recruit? How do we onboard? How do we continue to have recurrent training on, on, on kind of where everybody is and everybody's awareness of, of things like you know systematic racism around it, so so it's been a great learning curve for all of us. Like again, I thought we, if you asked me a year ago, I was like, ah, oh, we're great, we know. Right. And, and what this year has really taught us is like we're nowhere close. Like we got a long way to go, and we want to be leaders in in like chipping away at at racism in the country. Yeah, I mean, I think this last year has taught us a lot, as we've discussed in this organization, about reimagining business. But then also, maybe we're not as progressive and innovative as we thought we were with diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, and there's always room for growth, right? Yeah, listen, I think it's one of these journeys that, you know, until you get there, you're not there. So, like, how do you continue to figure out how to chip away at it in a real smart way? And how do you, how do you continue to educate in a big way? So, education has become kind of one of the pillars that that we weren't strong on that we've really kind of leveraged. Before I let you go, is there anything big on the horizon that you're working on? I mean, you've got a lot on your plate just given what we've discussed in this conversation, but uh, you know, I know the Bucks are an innovative organization. Is there anything you have planned coming up that you want people to know about? 
Well, there's so many cool things that are happening like in the world, whether it's gamification, online gambling, whether it's Top Shot, you know, that's kind of hit the world. Right. Uh, that's crazy. To be honest, it's crazy and it's so much fun. I think for us, we've got this unbelievable opportunity to kind of, we had to hit the pause button kind of in year one and a half of a new building. And now we have to like restart it. So I think for us, it's like, we want to finish developing, you know, kind of very locally, like this district in a way, like we've got a hotel going up, we've got some more residential going up. We want to change the experience. We think we've got this great opportunity to, to kind of redefine what a fan's experience is day to day. And that's all about people. Like how do we, almost that Disney effect of like, hey, we're going to invest so much in that, in that feel. And then listen, on the court, it's about winning an NBA championship. And, and kind of like, how do you prepare for success? Like in that, how could we leverage that to the next show? And then we're doing really fun stuff. Like, listen, we think we are a global brand. We're starting to market globally in Europe and Asia um, through, through social and some advertising, which is innovative and very cool. So we're surrounded. We've got so many great folks here that I kind of keep prodding to just kind of throw things against the wall and think kind of, really creatively and uh and we've got a great opportunity like we're in a good place to really grow and and the, the goal for us is growth 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 peter fagan the president of the nba's milwaukee bucks and the pfizer forum you can follow him on twitter at p fagan peter thanks so much continued success i'm rooting for you guys to get that that nba championship i think you've been knocking on the door for a while now and uh it'd be great to see you get it Great. Well, thanks so much for the time. We really appreciate it. Go Bucks. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. Sports Business Radio host Brian Berger here. The wait is finally over. Sports Business Radio merchandise has finally arrived. We're working with our friends at the Parish Project to provide you with the opportunity to buy really quality Sports Business Radio merchandise. We've started with long sleeve t-shirts and short sleeve t-shirts. They come in five different colors each, a variety of sizes. I love my shirts. And soon, we're going to have hoodies to offer as well, hooded sweatshirts. I know a lot of you are wearing hooded sweatshirts while you're working from home these days. But whether you're working out, just lounging around the house, or doing whatever you're doing, you can rock Sports Business Radio merchandise. I think you're going to love it. Go to parishproject.com. That's P-A-R-I-S-H project.com. Parishproject.com. And you can order your Sports Business Radio merchandise today. We appreciate your support. And uh, send us your best picture. Tweet it to us at SB Radio. Or also you can get us on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. We look forward to seeing you rocking that sports business radio merchandise. My guest is Jeff Kanowski. He is the Associate Director of Innovation Programs for Arizona State University's Global Sport Institute. They're a friend of the shows. Also, the Jay Oren Edson Entrepreneurship and Innovation Institute. Jeff, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. How are you? Absolutely. No, thank you, Brian. Uh, doing great and uh, glad to be here. Yeah. So tell us more about your role and more about the Institute, the Entrepreneurship and Innovation Institute to be specific. 
Yeah, absolutely. So my role really kind of sits at the intersection of sport and entrepreneurship. And uh, the, the two groups that I work with, uh, the Global Sport Institute, uh, really is a sport-focused research institute. And, uh, the, the whole purpose of that group is to positively impact the, the global sport community through the events that we put on, through the, uh, the programming that we do, and, and our, our various research and innovation efforts. And on the entrepreneurship side, uh, really the J.R. and Edson Entrepreneurship Institute focuses on empowering student and community and faculty individuals uh, in starting businesses and scaling those businesses. And so um, I, I'm very fortunate to be at that intersection where we can kind of play off of uh, both sides. Uh, you're bringing entrepreneurship uh, endeavors to life through sport. What makes for a good entrepreneur? This is like the, the million-dollar question or maybe a multi-million-dollar <laughs> question, right? Uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, we, work, we work a lot with, uh, with athletes. Uh, and so I think I'll, I'll respond by saying uh, the same things that make a, a good athlete make a good entrepreneur. You know, we see a lot of crossover uh, between the, uh, the grit and the determination and the, the leadership and, and really teamwork skills. Uh, you know, the athletes take into, uh, uh, into their environment. You know, they, they cross over very well and I think are, are definitely a key for becoming a, a, a successful entrepreneur. Tell us about the Sun Devil Venture Challenge. Absolutely. So the Sun Devil um, Athletics Venture Challenge launched uh, earlier this year and really uh, what, we, uh, what we aim to do there is capitalize on ASU's variety of facilities. So yeah, obviously we have a Division One sports program. We have a ton of different teams and uh, a ton of student athletes and, and really well-known programs. And uh, we wanted to really marry what we've been doing with uh, the sport innovation piece and bring that uh, to life through Sun Devil Athletics. And so we worked uh, closely with their folks to uh, create a pitch competition and uh, an opportunity to evaluate new ideas and, and new innovations in the sports space and then be able to uh, provide some foundational support for those ventures and some grant funding, and then ultimately uh, have a panel of judges from Sun Devil Athletics evaluate those ideas and launch them uh, through Sun Devil Athletics facilities. So it's a, it's a great way for uh, these ideas to come to life through actual tangible uh, beta tests. I had Mark Cuban on late last year, right before season 12 of Shark Tank, and you know, he told me that a lot of the pitches had kind of pivoted to be current after this pandemic are you starting to see pitches that are more current and that are taking the pandemic and kind of the new normal that we're going to go forward with in mind yeah absolutely and, and i would say uh even within our own world we've had to obviously adopt uh, to the new norm as well so even our, our what would be a typical in-person pitch has uh, become more of a virtual format so yeah there's some challenges we had to overcome with that but um, we've been very successful in, in adopting the, the new practices and, and doing some, some creative things there. But in terms of uh, ventures pitching, yeah, we, we definitely see uh, the, the thought and we appreciate the thought that goes into uh, you know, adopting to the new norm. You know, we've done a lot of different things with fan engagements and uh, wearables and, and different things where, you know, in a, in a, a kind of prime COVID era, there's not as much of that fan engagement in stadium. And so uh, ventures have had to pitch or, or transition their pitch to more of a, a virtual format or looking at ways to engage with fans while they're at home uh, versus sitting in the stands at a, at a game. So it's been really interesting and, and, and 
and uh, quite refreshing. I mean, we've even seen uh, a lot of safety type uh, uh, ventures come to life through this in terms of uh, whether it's you know, UV lights and disinfecting or uh, you know, utilizing drones to sanitize areas and things like that. It, it's really uh, it's really interesting to see how uh, individuals have uh, tried to capitalize on a, obviously a negative uh, environment. Tell us about the Global Sport Innovation Center that's powered by Microsoft and the Global Sport Institute collaboration. Yes, yeah, so uh, GSIC is based in Madrid, Spain, and uh, as you said, they're they're backed by Microsoft, and, and they're really uh, uh, a, a main group out there in Europe that is looking to, to sim- similarly do what we do and, and bring new ideas to light and then provide them with the resources that Microsoft has developed over time uh, and allow for them to scale their businesses. And so we uh, we met through some mutual contacts and some some different uh, reports that we were both listed in and start uh, started a conversation. And uh, you know, thus being the Global Sport Institute here at ASU, uh, we wouldn't be doing right by our name if we weren't looking for global opportunities to to scale and to to develop relationships. And so we uh, we found pretty quickly that we had a lot of synergies, a lot of um, a lot of common interests and goals. And so we uh, established a, a partnership with GSIC to really drive innovation internationally. So we can take ideas that are coming from ASU here locally, bring them overseas, test them in different markets, get introductions to their partners and, and vice versa, do collaborative events and, and things like that. So it's been great so far and, uh, and really uh, eyeing, hopefully uh, in the near term here, being able to do some things in person even. All right, before I let you go, whether I'm part of your program or I'm just listening to this and I've got to make a pitch for something, what are the elements of a good pitch? Because you're someone who sees pitches all the time and you know there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there, people with good ideas that listen to this show. What makes for a good pitch? Yeah, so I, I would say the, the biggest thing uh, is really the beginning of the pitch. I mean, when you're when you're getting in front of an audience, you know, you're, there's a lot to be said about first impressions, or uh, when you're getting in front of judges or whoever you're you're pitching, uh, you know, the the first impression is always critical. And so, what I always advise our ventures on is, uh, you know, have a have a hook, you know, have a have some type of story, have some type of reasoning as to why this matters to you and why it should matter to your audience and you know, we talk about storytelling a lot. We talk about kind of mapping out the, the audience experience. And I, I think, you know, if you can talk about why, uh, you know, we, 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 going back to the problem solving piece, you know, we talk about uh, why this matters to you. And if this is from a personal experience that led you to develop this concept or this idea, and how does that then translate to the, the rest of either the audience or the market? Um, that's always the, the biggest piece is just making sure that it's, uh, uh, you know, you're in st- storytelling mode. And you're really uh, nailing home why this matters and make it almost a personal uh, piece and then bring it into the, the actual tangible details as to why this is a good idea, your traction, your financials. You know, then you can get into the guts of it. But, but you're, with a pitch, you're basically telling a story and you want to have a captivating message. How long is a good pitch last? I mean, you know, you don't want to have someone dragging on. Is it five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes? What's an average pitch time? Yeah, so we typically cap our pitches uh, with a five-minute uh, time slot, and so that that gives you enough time to to get across an idea effectively. And uh, you know, we'll, what we'll do is we'll uh, we'll end with the Q and A, and so that that gives you some time to maybe 
reiterate some of your points, but I would say anywhere between five and 10 minutes is, is probably that sweet spot. Um, anything longer than that, unless you're really diving in and, and you have a lot of questions and you're pitching somebody from like a sales standpoint, that's where you might get into a longer presentation. But when you're doing an initial pitch and initially conveying an idea, that, I think that five minute mark is really enough time to, to get your idea across without being overbearing. What's the biggest success story that you've seen as far as a pitch that came to you? Uh, you know, we've seen, we've seen a lot of great ideas. We see a lot of early stage ideas. Uh, you know, one of, uh, one of our favorites, uh, or my favorites is a, a group called force impact technologies. And, uh, these guys, um, Bob Merriman and Anthony Gonzalez, they're former ASU guys. They, uh, they were uh, both, uh, black belts and, uh, and, uh, athletes and, Really, what they uh, did was determine that you know, there's a lot of issues with uh, with concussions in sports, and there's you know, the whole market for youth sports and trying to alleviate the concern for parents with uh, with, with um, you know, high contact sports. So they developed a, a, a smart mouth guard essentially that uh, basically registers through an accelerometer uh, concussive force. It doesn't diagnose concussions, but it, it does uh, detect certain levels of, of G's with force. And they've been really successful in uh, not only going through our programs and taking advantage of ASU's resources, but uh, bringing on NFL players, bringing on um, you know, specific doctors in the industry to, to round out their advisory council and have raised a significant amount of money and are bringing their product to market um, very aggressively. So it's been fun to see that. Uh, they, they've been really doing a great job. And we, have a, we have a lot of great success stories that have come from really just ideas in, in someone's head. And we help them map them out and get them to a point where they can actually pitch and raise some funding. So it's been great to see, uh, great to see that. That's a great story. So I was going to ask you, you know, as part of what you're doing, are you able to help them market themselves or get in front of leagues or teams who may be interested in their product? Yeah, of course. So that's really one of the reasons why we've developed these uh, sort of sponsored challenges. And so, you know, not only are we providing some of the foundational uh, information and, and judging and mentorship and things like that, uh, we also play off of ASU's uh, you know, wide variety of resources. And so we're able to plug them into different channels within the university. But we've also established these relationships, like you mentioned, the SDA challenge and the, the GSIC program. Uh, we uh, actually just recently launched last week uh, a partnership with the Arizona Coyotes. So we're doing something very similar in the fall where we're going to be basically taking in ideas for innovation. And uh, at the end of that term, once we have our applicants listed, we'll be then uh, putting those those ventures in front of a group of judges from the Coyotes organization and going to be doing something very similar. It's going to be $40,000 in grant funding up for grabs, additional mentorship. But again, with with our, our ability to connect those dots, we're now giving these ventures an opportunity to pitch to a professional organization. And the Coyotes have agreed to uh, to, to provide a similar beta test within their facilities for the winning venture. So it, it's, it's a great way for us to leverage our networks, our relationships, have some formality behind it, but uh, be able to plug these ventures into real, real customer experiences. So that's, that's the best way. And then obviously we have you know, partnerships with Adidas and other groups and uh, lots, of, uh, lots of mentors in our group that we can make uh, direct connections with. But we like to um, also have those programmatic efforts as well globalsport.asu.edu is the website but jeff if someone wants to be a part of 
the innovation programs at Arizona State University's Global Sport Institute and specifically the J. Orrin Edson Entrepreneurship and Innovation Institute. How do they do that? Yeah, so I would say uh, the the website that you listed off is a great starting point. Uh, yeah, we uh, we have a, a venture section in our uh, in our top tab there, and you can go in and select that and learn more about our past efforts, learn more about our ventures, and, and also uh, that links to any types of uh, current opportunities uh, with with Edson and uh, the Edson Institute and others. So um, I would say that's probably your your best uh, uh, first path, and then obviously connecting with me, whether it be through LinkedIn or. Uh, you uh, reaching out through the site is also uh, uh, perfect. So awesome. Jeff Kanowski is the associate director of innovation programs for Arizona State University's Global Sport Institute, and again, specifically the J. Orrin Edson Entrepreneurship and Innovation Institute. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us on Sports Business Radio. Continued success to you. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Brian. Take care. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. And thanks to our partner, Molka Sports, for powering Sports Business Radio. Learn more about them online at molkasports.com. That's M-A-L-K-A sports.com. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions, griggsproductions.com.